Hey, we're going to be looking at a, at a, at a great uh, text tonight in Philippians chapter 4, and a great subject. Um, the, the subject of prayer is always something that is, is never old. Um, you know, Vince Lombardi is a famous football coach that, you know, has a trophy named after him, you know, the Lombardi Trophy, and, and so he's obviously the gold standard as far as that is concerned. But the thing that he was the most famous for is he always encouraged his teams to be about the basics, about the fundamentals, about operating the basics at a high level. And I think as Christians, we have a tendency to lose sight of the basics sometimes. And the times that we lose sight of the basics are the times that we are going through a funk, when we're going through a drought, when we're going through a difficult season, because we're not real good at having good vantage point. Now, how many of you have ever actually been to the top of a mountain peak? You've been in Colorado, you've been at the Rockies, you've been in some place that's super high. The, my first experience with a, with a mountain peak was uh, Pikes Peak, Colorado Springs. This is before the tram thing burned down, and, and we did that. And so I was a little boy with my mom and dad on a trip, and it was a Jolly 60s trip. My dad used to take Jolly 60s trip with a busload of senior citizens. And so I don't know why I got drafted along, probably because I was just a tag along and mom didn't want to pay a babysitter. And so I'd go with all the Jolly Sixties and dad told me if I was nice to him, they'd give me a quarter. And so I usually came back with a pocket full of quarters. And so I learned a long time ago, be nice to senior citizens. So uh, I haven't gotten any quarters for a long time, but you know, that's okay. But that trip, I remember for the first time being up on the mountain and seeing how awesome and how amazing it was. And I remember thinking how cool it was. And then I fell into a whole bunch of cactuses. You ever, you ever bumped into a cactus? Try falling into a whole bunch of them. They were picking needles out of me for like a, a week or two. It was awful. And so my great memory of the mountain Pikes Peak was that I fell into the cactus. It was awful. But I've been to the mountains again since then, and it's cool. It's amazing to be up that high and have that vantage point to see all around and see that view. Well, it's kind of like that for God. He's got the greatest vantage point to all of us. I tell the kids all the time that, that God has the most amazing superpowers because, you know, they're all gigged out and tricked out on superheroes right now because it's what the media is all about. And I say, God's got the best superpower ever. He can read seven point some odd billion people's minds at the same time. He knows what we're all thinking. He knows what we're all doing. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's amazing to me that God is like that and can do that. But God has that vantage point that he sees everything. And we, when we're close to him, when we're walking with him, when we are close to him in relationship, we're staying in his word, we're staying on our knees, we, we draw some of that. We, we get a little bit of that from him. And, and we can walk through trials. We can walk through difficult times. We can walk through uh, shortcomings in our lives or someone else's life. And, and we can be the bigger person. But it's when we are not where we need to be. We are not where we need to be in the fundamentals of prayer. We're not in the fundamentals of God's word, and that's where we run into difficult times. And so what I'm wanting to look at tonight is the idea of don't worry. You ever been told, just don't worry about it? Usually it's because they're tired of hearing you complain about it. That's why you hear that. But worry is something that is a natural effect because we don't like things being out of the way we like them to be. How many of you are precise type people that you like things just such a way? You like things your way and everybody else should do them your way. And if they don't, you'll tell them about it. 
And so some people are more you know, inclined to be aggressive with getting their way than others, but we all have a tendency to like things our way. We all want things our way, but I, I think about it from this standpoint, so, so my question would be this, how quickly do you attempt to fix a negative situation in your life? Some people are super, you know, super organized, super precise. They are going to, soon as there is a detail left unfringed, they are going to deal with it. My mother is that type of a person. She is developing a contingency plan for every possible disaster that the family could incur. And she is always thinking about, you know, she's, she spends a, an enormous amount of time praying for her children and her grandchildren every day. And whenever there is anything out of balance, oh, just got to pray. We've just got to be praying. Oh, God, just do this. You know, just take care of that situation. Jairus, my oldest, just bought a car, and it needs some work, and, and he's, you know, like, oh, Dad, I'm having my first hard knock deal. I bought a car from a guy, and, you know, he wasn't completely honest, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so I told Mom, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? Jairus needs some money. What are we going to do? Oh, Lord, just send it to him. You know, and, and, I mean, she is just ready, but she's learned something. She doesn't worry. She talks to God. And she, but I always, I kind of kid her because I'm like, I, th- I think you're still worrying just a little bit. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm like, but you're talking about it an awful lot. Well, I'm just praying about it an awful lot. And so it's kind of a fine line because we can let our minds go to obsessing on fixing the problem. And I don't know about you, but the longer you're around this game of life, you can kind of get pretty good at fixing problems. You're kind of used to it. You've seen it before. I always tell people that if something bad happens, process it, think about it, because guess what? Different faces, different places, it's going to happen again. If a situation went bad, cheer up. It's going to happen again. If things aren't going well for you, cheer up. It's going to get worse. You know, I'm I'm giving you lots of encouragement tonight. But that's just kind of the principle of life is that stuff's going to happen. And so, you know, we want to fix it. And different types of personalities, you know, have different types of reactions to things. But Paul is talking here to the church in Philippi, and he is reminding them of the basics. He's in prison at this point, and so as he's giving them advice, it's unique to me that he's speaking so much about joy. He's speaking so much about perspective, because if anybody's perspective would be whacked, it would be his. He's in prison for doing what God called him to do. He's preaching the gospel, and he's in chains because of it. He's got all the reason in the world to bellyache, yet instead he's encouraging them to stay focused on what it's about. You know, and the other aspect to it too is he encourages them to keep perspective on the long term. Another thing that we struggle with as people is that long-term perspective. How many of you, when you identify a problem, you wanted it fixed yesterday? You want it dealt with immediately, if not sooner. And we, we don't do well with long term. We don't do well with just pray about it and just trust the Lord, brother. We want it fixed now. You know, we, we forget about the stories of Abram being called, and then 20-some-odd years later, we see something materialize. We forget about the, the Israelites being in slavery for 400 years before God finally rescues them. I mean, we, we don't champion those stories. We say, yes, amen, I prayed, and it happened, and praise the Lord, and everything is great. And I love that too, but sometimes there's something through the process of the valley, there's something through the process of the hardship that we needed to learn, that we need to grow in. And that's what I see in this idea of worrying, because worrying is something that will just eat you away on the inside. You'll stew over something. you You will just obsess over it. And it's very common because it's very real. 
How many of you know we don't worry about something that's frivolous? You know, I don't worry about whether Pastor Nick's going to make coffee in the mornings because he always does. You know, that's a given. It's going to happen. If he didn't come in, I wouldn't worry because I'd figure out how to make it myself. You know, we don't worry about frivolous things. We worry about the real stuff. Anybody ever gone through a, a horrendous health situation with a loved one? You ever faced a cancer situation or something that is tragic and, and horrendous and gut-wrenching the entire time you're dealing with it? That's something that you worry about. That's something that is hard to, 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 to keep focus on anything else because it is such an all-consuming problem. It's right in front of your face everywhere you turn. And so as I say worry, I'm not diminishing the fact that the things that we go through are very real and they're very difficult and they're very pressing situations, but we've got to keep perspective. And what Paul challenged the Philippians right prior to this passage that we're going to look at in, in the last part of chapter 3, I want to read a couple verses for you because he gives us some good perspective that we need sometimes as we go through valleys and trials. It says, but we are citizens of heaven. This is Paul talking to the church at Philippi saying, yeah, you're going through some difficulties. Yeah, you're going through some hardships, but we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We will take, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. You know, we... We a lot of times want it fixed immediately, and God sometimes just has to simply remind us and pat us on the head and say, I've got this. Seven some odd billion of you alive on the planet right now, I've got it all orchestrated. There's been however many billions of people that have been alive before you, I was, I was aware of all of that. The billions of people that will be alive after you, I've got that covered too. Oh, and, and by the way, one last little thing, I've got eternity all mapped out. You know, talk about vantage point. Talk about perspective. Ours is whacked because we're looking at the here and now. We're looking at the immediate. We're looking at the crisis, which is real. But we can get so fixated on the crisis that we absolutely do worry. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. I want to I really look in depth at verses 4 through 7. Uh, and, and the idea of don't worry is really going to, I believe, speak to us tonight in some basics and some principles of staying close to God. I always, I always look for words in Scripture that are significant because I, I see them as kind of uh, words that are really speaking into the situation. And so as I look at verse 4 and 5, the word them is something that stands out to me as I specifically looked at, at one translation. I, I typically study and read out of the New Living Translation, so that's what I'll talk primarily from, but I'll bounce around to some other ones. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Anytime you have repetition in Scripture, you should take note of that because it's, it's saying something important. You ever had a mom that has told you something twice? Don't forget it the third time. Or there's a consequence that comes with forgetting it. When God is emphasizing something, when you see it in Scripture repeated, that means take note. Take note of this because this is something that, that probably has a consequence for not responding to it in the right way. Always be full of joy in the Lord, I say again, rejoice. Now, have you ever woken up on any particular day and not felt like rejoicing? 
Am I the only heathen that wakes up from time to time and there's no rejoicing on my lips? I'm like, I, I am not happy. I'm not happy to be up. I'm not happy with this. I'm not happy with that. You know, now my kids are out and moved out of the house. They don't have to go where I tell them to go. They don't have to do what I tell They can move to other states. Not happy about that. My grandson's all over Facebook. My in-laws are, are spoiling him rotten and I don't even get to see him. He doesn't even know me. Ah! Life's a disaster. Always, it says, be full of joy. How in the world does that happen? You know, I can look at scriptures like that and I can say, I, I know that that is true. I know that to be true. I know that it says that. But how do I actually do that? That's what Paul's going to break down for us as this passage unfolds. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. James gives us some perspective on that in chapter 1. It's a great passage to coincide with this portion. It says in verse 2, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, did you get that? Did, Did you see the whole sentence? I like the great joy part, but it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, worry, fret, complain, bellyache, throw a fit. No, it doesn't say any of that. It says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. What I really see here is that our inner attitudes did not have to reflect our outward circumstances. That, that's something that doesn't make sense to the world. They, they sang about that tonight. They sang about the passage that I'm on. I love it when that happens. That's cool. But peace that passes all understanding, I, I call it peace that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that we should be able to, to count it all joy. It doesn't make sense that we should be able to rejoice in trials, in difficulties, in, in rough situations. Because we can look at it with perspective, vantage point, God's vantage point that says that is giving you an opportunity for growth, for your faith to be tested, for your endurance to to build. How many of you have ever been through the process of working out? You, you, You get on the bandwagon and you're ready to exercise and you do it again. When you first start exercising, guess what? Your endurance is... You know, unless you're Jeff Wilkie, you don't just get on a bike and ride 100 miles. Jeff practiced a little bit. But for goodness sake, I practiced for like six months, and Jeff gets on the bike a couple weeks. Yeah, I think I can do that. You were hurting for certain over that last, about the last 20 miles. But, you know, we, we build endurance as we put effort in. If you want to be able to build endurance as you face trials in life, look at your joy meter. Look at what you're focusing on, because if you're only focusing on the negative, if you're only focusing on the problem rather than focusing on God, that was, that was so neat about our worship set tonight because it really took us to the throne of, of grace and, and put our focus tonight on, on sitting at his feet, on soaking up his presence, at, at going back to the basics of, of trusting him no matter what. The text goes on in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Let everyone see that you're considered in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming Soon, You see, the other thing that you have to realize about this church and about this group is that they were having problems. Did you know that wherever you put a group of people, you'll have problems? Do you know why there are problems in churches? Because they're full of people. If you find the perfect church, go there long enough and you'll find how imperfect it is because they'll make you mad too. 
So if you go from one church to the next trying to find the perfect church, they'll all seem perfect for about the first two, three, four months. And if they've really worked on it a long time and long and hard and they're super polished, they may even dupe you for six months or a year. But eventually, guess what? The dust is going to clear and you're going to say, yep, these people are a mess too. You know, problems are where people are at. And that's one of the toughest parts about the world of the church is we bring the mindset of the culture into church and that's exactly what the Philippians had done here. Paul's saying, you know what, it can't function this way. You've got to, you've got to put your focus on God, not on each other. Look back at verse 2 with me because this gets a little bit more into the specifics of the situation. He says, now I appeal to Euodia and Synecdoche. What names? My goodness, you think you named your child something crazy? You, as long as you didn't do Yodi and Synecti, I don't know, maybe, that, maybe that's your choice coming up for your child that's yet to come, but uh, uh, those poor girls you know, probably had some struggles with, with people making fun of their names. But here Paul appeals to them and says, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Because again, Paul is, is dealing with the situation here where the people in the church had problems, things that, that were causing them to worry, things that were causing them to be anxious. And then do you know what immediately transpired following that? There became conflict among the believers. Do you know that there's no coincidence that this passage all is laid out the way that it is because it's the same for us. When life is bad, guess what? Everything else looks bad. When you're facing a bad, difficult situation, you see everything through the lenses of that hurt you see it through the pain. You see it through the brokenness of what you're facing and what you're dealing with. And everybody else looks bad to you also. All the little flaws that maybe you, normally you would just cover with grace, you would cover with God's mercy and grace that he's given to you. You're like, okay, that's just them. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overlook that. Well, that's when it elevates and escalates. And so Paul's saying, ladies, you are the ones that started and founded this church and now you're at odds with each other. Yeah, you've got stress in your life. Yeah, you've got difficult situations, but settle the disagreement. Focus on the big picture. Focus on the task at hand. He says, I appeal to you. You belong to the Lord. Settle your disagreement. The message, uh, of, the message version of, of this passage, Philippians 4, 4, and 5 says, Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in Him. Make it clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side. This is Paul talking to the believers, saying, encourage one another, work with one another. It says, working with them, not against them. Helping them see that the Master is about to arrive. He should show up at any minute. You know, when we're going through a hardship in life, when we're going through a difficulty in life, it's our tendency to want to have somebody to blame. We want to be able to point the finger and say, if it just hadn't been for them, if it just hadn't been for what they did, everything would be better. That's not the root cause. The root cause is the enemy of your soul that wants nothing but his agenda to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. And your family, he, he absolutely hates churches because churches are the only hope for our world. Did you hear me? You think the government is a help for our world? You're mistaken. You think a politician, you think an actor, you think a cause. The church is the only hope for the world because the church is proclaiming the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is preaching God's word. 
The church is the only hope. And so he's going to do everything he can to bring chaos to the church. He wants to cause feuds in the church. He wants to cause problems in the church. He wants to get the church worrying about everything but what the task at hand is. He wants us to put the focus on them rather than putting the focus on him. The principle that you need to pull away and take away from this is that our focus very, very easily shifts to people rather than our enemy. It's real easy to forget who the real enemy is. It's real easy to look at a person and think they are the antagonist. They are the enemy. You know what? They're another person that matters to God. They're another person that that, that soul matters to God. And we're all easily caught up in the mess of what the devil wants to throw our way. And so we have to be careful that when we are worrying, when our joy meter is down, that we're realizing that our focus has shifted from God to our problems and ultimately then passing that on to another person usually. Second thing that I want you to pull away as we look at verse 6 is the idea of thanks. It says, don't worry about anything in verse 6. Instead, pray about everything. Now, can you say with me and agree that that is easier said than done sometimes? You've been there? You know, the, you know the word. You know it says, don't worry about everything. Instead, pray about everything. But God, wait a minute. You, you don't, you, you, I know you know what's going on, but, but wait a minute. Hey, this situation's real. Wait a minute. If something doesn't happen immediately, if not sooner, it's, it's all going to fall apart. And it's real. It's, it's, it's a genuine problem that we're, that we're worrying about. It's not something that is not just a little deal. It's something that is consuming us. But here Paul is reminding them. He's, he's, he's encouraged them in the aspect of unity in the first part of the passage. Now he's focusing on their thankfulness. He, ch- he challenged them to be joyful in all circumstances. Now he's, he's checking their, their mindset on their thankfulness. You know, Destructive thoughts, they are going to choke out the Word of God and cause believers to abandon trust. I like that. I got that from the Jeremiah Study Bible. Destructive thoughts will choke out the Word of God and they'll cause believers to abandon trust. You know, truth is relative in our our culture and in our world today, and so people have determined their own truth. They've determined their own standard for what they're going to believe, what they're going to stand on, what they're going to really take to the bank and anytime we do anything besides God's Word as our standard, as our gold standard, as our north star, as our, as our beacon point, we are going to go the wrong way. We are going to go the wrong path. We are going to go the path of worry. We are going to go the path of obsessing about something. And it says, don't worry about anything. Okay, Paul, I'm hearing you, but I'm saying, how? He says, instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. There's a lot of times when I face difficult situations with people and I'm talking to them, and a lot of times I'll ask them the question, how much are you praying about this? Well, probably not as much as I should. Are you, are you getting up early and praying about it? Well, no, not been sleeping real good. Maybe I ought to start getting up early. I learned a long time ago from a wise man by the name of Royce Beckett that if you start your day in prayer you got a chance. If you don't, your perspective is going to be all off. And I've learned 
You know, maybe it doesn't work for you, but I've learned that getting up early does it for me. When I used to have to be at work at, you know, 5.36 in the morning at Quitrip, I had to get up super early to be able to have that time with God before I would walk out the door. And, and I am so thankful that I developed those habits at that stage in my life, in my early 20s, that is carried with me because I realized that I missed that. When you know you get in a habit and something's good, when you get in a habit of working out and you're feeling good, you're feeling your energy rise, your endurance get better, you like that feeling, but it doesn't take long for that feeling to go away because you're out of the habit. Our prayer life has to be something that we exercise, that we put time and effort into, that we, that we make it intentional, that we are carving out time in our life to pray. Well, I don't know how to pray that long. Just talk to God. Just simply pour out your heart to Him. I've learned something else, too, that is a great way to pray, is to pray Scripture. As I, as I read through the Bible the last several years ago, I heard it probably five or six years ago, to pray through Scripture. And I, and I, and I took that challenge to heart because I began to look at Scripture, especially, especially passages where you see the, the author pouring out their heart to God. I'm like, man, God, that resonates with me. God, I want that. I want the, the heart behind that, the Holy Spirit that inspired that passage. God, I want that for my life. And when I would, would read passages of people that had failed miserably, I'd say, God, please spare me from that. I, I don't want to go down that road. I want to learn from their mistakes and not do what I have to do. And so, so the key, I think, here we see to not worrying about praying, or not worrying about anything, is to pray and to make it intentional that we pray. Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 6, it, Coincides really, really well with this passage. It says, so don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. Jesus' words are, are clear because he points out the, the huge difference in the way our culture and our world and the, the mindset of, and the worldview of, of people that are not following Christ is dramatically different. We have to be careful what's influencing us. If the world around us, if our culture around us, if the media is our primary influence, we've got to guard that. We've got to, we've got to let God's word be that influence. We've got to have time in prayer. There's been so many times in my life where, where God has convicted me about a, an attitude that I had about an individual God has, has spoken to me about a situation that I was, you know, at wit's end with how to deal with. And just in a time of a still small voice of sitting in God's presence, it's like, wow, wow. Thank you, God. Thank you. And, and the Holy Spirit, you know what he'll do? He'll make you look like a genius. He will. He, he, will, he will give you counsel and advice that no man could ever do. So count on that and ask for his help. He wants to pour it out. Verse 6 finishes up. It says, tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. When you are facing a valley, when you are facing a trial, when you are going through the disaster of your life, the crisis of your life, that's when you need to thank God the most. That's when your perspective needs to change to Him. How do I do that? How do I do that, John? How is that even possible? How, how is it that everything around me is crumbling and I can thank God? Guys, we don't deserve a thing from Him. We don't deserve salvation. 
We don't deserve the fact that, that he gives us life and life to the fullest. We don't deserve the fact that, that blessings come on our lives that, that we know nothing about, that protection and, and provision happens for us every day of our lives that goes over our head. We have no idea all of what God does for us. And if the only thing Jesus ever did for us was die on that cross, wouldn't that have been enough? I mean, think about it. What if this was the arrangement? Jesus died on the cross. You accept him as your Savior. And then he says, okay, you're on your own. If you can survive life, great. But if not, when you die, you're coming to heaven with me. What if that was the case? Would it still be worth it? I'd say so. What's Paul talking about before this passage? He's reminding them of eternal perspective that, yeah, your, your, your current stage of life right now stinks, but think about the big picture. You know, you think about eternity, it's a hard thing to wrap your minds around. Uh, Jairus, my oldest, used to be terrified of the concept of eternity. And so when I would say the bedtime prayers with the kids, he would always say, and God, please don't let me dream about eternity because it scares me. It's like, I just don't understand it. It's like, when's it end, Dad? I'm like, I don't know. You have to talk to God about that. I don't want to go to sleep now. I want to dream about eternity. I'm like, it's going to be okay, bud. And then I'd get him to think about praying for something else. And so he'd always pray for robbers. He didn't want robbers to come and lightning to strike the house or fire. And especially not all three at the same time. So that was the crisis. Eternity, robbers, fire, lightning. Other than that, there wasn't anything to worry about as far as he was concerned. But, uh, you know, eternity is, is, a, is a hard thing to wrap your mind around. But think about if life was this line, just a little speck of dust on here is your life. And eternity just keeps on going. Round and round and round. Just keeps on going. I mean, we get so wrapped up on that speck of dust. Is that speck of dust important? You bet. Absolutely it is. That speck of dust makes a mark in the rest of our eternity. But we get so wrapped up on that sometimes that we forget the big picture of that God's got it all in his hands. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for it. I like what the message says about verse 6 here. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Oh, that's good. Let petitions and praises. That's prayers. That's praises. Let that shape your worries into prayers, letting God know about your concerns. Wow. The principle I want you to pull away from that is that a different vantage point changes our focus, not necessarily the problem. You see, a lot of times it isn't necessarily the problem that's going to be fixed right away, but our perspective. When our vantage point is, our, is God's vantage point, when we press into Him, when we spend time with Him, when we are at His feet, turning our petitions and our praises, turning our worries into petitions and praises, that's when our vantage point begins to be his and we see things the way that he does. Last verse is verse seven. And the word that really sticks out to me is then. Verse seven starts out, it says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. The King James Version calls that peace that passes all understanding. But you notice the first word of that, then. That means there's a prerequisite. You ever told your children, 
You do your chores, then you get the prize. Wives, you ever told your husband, you do all of what I tell you to do, then you get a kiss on the cheek. Or whatever. You get a kiss on the cheek, you're doing good, husbands. Smile and wave and keep on going. Then means that something had to happen before it. You know what? We don't like then. We live in a culture that gives us what we want, when we want, how we want it, the way we want it. When I go, we got the, the Sonic has this special $2.99 for burgers and onion rings. My mom couldn't believe it. She's like, what? A full-size burger and onion rings? That sounds amazing. So i like, let's go get onion rings and burgers. It's awesome. And all three, my wife, myself, and my mom, all three of us' burgers were different. We had different things on them. One of them had mustard. The other had mayonnaise. One of them had ketchup, mustard, and mayonnaise. One of them had pickles. The other had no pickles. One of us had onions. Some of us had no tomatoes. Alicia doesn't have gluten, so she doesn't have no bun. I mean, we're all kinds of picky. You know, just ordering three simple Sonic burgers, we have 15 different variations of it. And you're probably the same way. That's the way we live. Our culture tells us we get what we want, how we want it, the way we want it. And we bring that mindset into our walk with God. And it is just flat not right. He says, then. You do all of this stuff. Remember what it said before. Be joyful. Always. Again, I say rejoice, Paul says. Keep your perspective on the here and now. Keep your focus on where it should be. Then, with everything, don't worry, but pray instead. Then, he says, there's something else that comes when you follow the directives. When you do what you're supposed to do, good things follow. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Have you ever been in a situation that was an absolute crisis and then it resolved? A good ending, a happy ending happened. My wife loves happy endings. If, if life was a Hallmark movie, that's how life should be as far as she's concerned. She won't watch a movie with me if she knows it has a sad ending. She's like, nope, it's a sad ending. Somebody dies, the dog dies, it's all sad, we're going to cry. And I'm like, that's reality. She's like, I don't want to watch reality. I want to see the prince come on the white horse and everything ends up happy. You know, and that's what we like. We like happiness and joy, but sometimes happiness and joy isn't life. It's a stark reality. But we want the icing on the cake, no matter what, whether we've done what is required to get it. And we want the happy ending, always. God says, if you do all of these things, then you will experience God's peace. When there is that conclusion, when there is that summation, there's a feeling of just overwhelming, wow, awesome, it turned out okay. I made it. Every single birth that I witnessed with my wife was a miracle. Birth's a miracle, it, it, but it's terrifying to me. And I was absolutely prayerfully terrified through the entire process until we were home and I'd counted all the toes and fingers and, and spanked their butts and made them cry, all that stuff. Be, it's just, it was horrifying and terrifying and exciting all at the same time. And when you finish a deal like that, you're like, ah, oh, finally, we made it. That's peace. That's like, ah, oh, made it. You know, it's, it's like that when we face a trial and we get through it and we're like, wow, God, you, you had this all along. You've been around this deal a little bit. You'll, you'll have some of those moments in your life where you can 
take stock of those. How many of you can raise your hand and say, I got some of those moments where I can say, yeah, yeah, God had my back. Yeah, God, God saw what was going on and he, he navigated the whole thing even though I was a mess. He, he worked it all out. I've, I've heard so many stories and so many testimonies, I can't even count them, of, of things that God has done and people are like, wow. You know, those are the times when we're like, yeah. But our perspective gets all out of whack when we're going through it. We want the then. We want it happening immediately the way we want it, how we want it. And God's saying, you know what? If you do what I ask you to do, be full of joy. Rejoice in everything. Let everyone see you being considerate in all you do. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. I like that because it's, it's an intentional choice on our part to say, God, I choose you. I, I may not see how the outcome is all going to get to where it's going to go. I may not see the narrow zigzag up and down through the valleys, over the river, and through the woods path, but I trust you. And I trust that your way is best and your way is going to see me through. I don't understand this whole not worry thing, God. I don't understand this be anxious for nothing, God. But I trust you and I want to follow you and I want to come after you with all that's within me. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Always be thankful principle you need to pull away is that we often expect the benefits without satisfying the prerequisite. You know, as we, as we live life, it is going to be difficult. It is going to be tricky. It is going to be challenging. The Christian life is, is not easy. You know, a lot of, a lot of people are disillusioned as they, as they start this deal with following Christ. They get disillusioned because they think, wait a minute, I thought God was like a genie in a lamp that now that I'm a Christian, everything's going to be roses and peaches and cream and everything's going to go great and I'm never going to have hardships and, and everything's going to be wonderful and my prince will come and happy ending, hallelujah, Hallmark movie. And people get disillusioned. Jesus talks about that when he talks about the soils, how the seed is scattered and how some of it falls on rocky soil and, and it doesn't take because when the hardships of life come, the roots didn't grow deep. You know how roots grow deep? When you face trials, when you face hardships, when you are on the backside of what you never thought you could get through, and somehow, some way, you did. That's God. That's peace that passes all understanding. And it can guard your heart, it can stay with you. You can go back to that moment and say, God, I, I know you carried me through then, you'll do it again. It builds. Do you know that? It does. The, the more that stuff happens, the more confidence you have in God to say, you know what? That makes sense, but I'm following you. Don't have all the answers, but I'm following you. I don't get it, God, but I'm not going to expect the benefits without satisfying the prerequisite. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to stay on my knees. I'm going to press into you. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to... Not be anxious, but I'm going to pray instead. 
What I want to challenge you with as we close is a very simple, simple thing. I learned this a long time ago too, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for lots of stuff that I've picked up along the way. That's tools in the belt. You, you need that. That's why we need church. That's why we need Christians. That's why, I, that's why we need connection. That's why we need to be around each other because you pick up things from each other. But I, I learned a long time ago to, to memorize and, and to find Scripture that's relating to the valley that I'm going through. If you're going through a valley of sickness, you need to find Scriptures that talk about healing. You need to stand on them. You need to memorize them. You need to quote them day after day. You need to make them a part of your prayer verbiage. How do I pray Scripture? Pray it. Memorize it and call out to God. Say, God, I trust that you're my healer. I stand on that that it says, by your stripes I am healed. If you're going through a financial crisis, stand on verses that say, God is my provision. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. If you're going through a a relationship crisis, stand on that. If if your child is a wayward child or or you're, you're worried about them, stand on those scriptures about the prodigal. Stand on those scriptures about training up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Whatever you are going through, I can guarantee guarantee you there is scripture that you can stand on that is true that is valid that when you quote it when you pray it when you memorize it it's going to begin to change the way you think about a situation is the situation still going to be there maybe for a while you're going to have to live through it you're going to have to get past it but while you get past it oh my goodness the growth that you're going to experience by standing on god's word the growth that you're going to experience by not worrying but instead praying is going to change you. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a, just a moment as we close? I asked you a little while ago if you may be facing some trials and lots of you, lots of you raised your, raised your hands. But I, I want to I let this be just a few moments before we walk out of this room that we kind of seal the deal with God. That we say, God, I want to walk out of here different than I came. I want my perspective to change because of your presence, because of your word. And so I want you to just think about something that is a pressing worry. Something that is a situation that crops up in your mind. That is what you think about when you wake up. It's what you think about right before you fall to sleep. It's what you think about when you wake up in the middle of the night. I want you to ask God right now, God, lead me to places in your word. Lead me to scriptures that I can stand on to carry me through that. I want to pray something for you tonight, and, I, and, it's, and it's a different type of prayer. I don't want to necessarily pray that every trial is immediately going to be fixed tonight. I want to pray for you that God's going to put iron in your backbone through his word so that you can withstand those trials. God, I just pray right now that each and every one of us, the situations that we're facing are real. The things that cause worry for us are real. And God, we do. We do stand on the fact that you are a God of the impossible. What's impossible with man is not impossible with you we know that to be true but God sometimes there's a learning process for us sometimes there's a growth process sometimes there's an endurance process that's that's being built up and giving us an opportunity to grow in our faith with you and so God I just pray right now 
that as we are here tonight, that, that the deal is sealed, that we are going to just draw from your strength, and that is going to be iron in our backbone so that we can withstand the trials. As the storms howl, as the wind blows, as the enemy comes at us with everything that he's got, that we don't cave in, that we hold fast to you, that we don't worry, but in all things we pray. God, I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us tonight, God, that we would walk out of here with a different perspective, realizing that the God that spoke the world into existence out of nothing has our back. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that you see all of what we're facing. You see all of what we're going through. You see all of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you still love us. You still have a plan for us. Lord, bless us tonight. Lord, I thank you for everything that's happened in this building tonight. Lord, I pray for all of the students, that what they took away, Lord, tonight is your, your word and your presence and what it does for them and, and changing them. Lord, I pray that each family that is represented here tonight, God, is just blessed for taking the time to come onto this campus. Lord, I pray that we would walk out of this place, Lord, with changed perspective, ready to be salt and light in our world and bring us all back to church Sunday, Lord, for a great celebration of your presence. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Amen. If you need prayer for anything and specifically, I'm going to be down at the altar as we dismiss here. And so if you want prayer or someone to agree with you, just come on down. I'll be glad to pray with you.